media at SAFM with Ashraf Garda. Exploring every media platform and industry. Only on 104 to 107. What's more to come on the second half of the... Well, in fact, I say second half. It's two out of three because we have three hours of the media show. So still to come later on, we will talk. And, and really, it's a sad thing to talk about. About Gordon Patterson... Uh, and his passing, sadly, and his contribution, therefore, uh, to the to the media marketing industry. That comes up around 9:30. We'll chat to the to the CEO of uh, Omnicom about that just now. And then that little the checkers little shop campaign. We must talk about it. Of course, you can't ignore it. So we'll chat to them around quarter to ten. Maklati Gallens from the SABC, deputy political editor, is also the chairperson now of SANAF. So we'll profile her at about five past ten. And, Referring to the point about the Olympic, about sport, the Olympic Games comes up, as we know, uh, Tabiso Sitoli will chat to him about just the dynamics of working the beat as a journalist during an Olympic Games. He's done that before, so absolutely looking forward to that. But let's start then with our thought leader discussion, which we normally do at 9 o'clock on the Sunday. 0891-104207 is what you need to do to get on air. You can tweet me. Hashtag media show, uh, but then tweets to SFM Radio and to myself, Ashraf Ganda, and option three is to SMS me 34701. And the thought leader is, uh, this time around, the subject uh, is around ROI, but very importantly, we chat to Nicola Klein, who is the Dean of the Gordon Institute of Business Science and also Professor of, uh, of Marketing. Nicola, it's, it's been a long time coming. Hi. It has, Ashraf. Good morning to you. Thanks for for hosting me this morning. Absolutely right. Now, the reason we're talking to you, I mean, central to this, is you've delivered, what, a a masterclass talk on on marketing ROI, right? I did. We had a great discussion, and I I made it clear that if you're looking for the expert on how to calculate every ROI, don't ask me. But I think there's some fundamental questions we need to be asking about the bigger picture. So we, we spent some time exploring some key questions. All right, so let, let's then talk about, I mean, first of all, broadly, this, this broad issue of, you know, return on investment, and someone already threw in return on, on objectives, uh, and you specifically saying, you know, let, let's link that to, to marketing. So tell me about that just as an opening line. Well, I think it stands to reason that if we're going to say what is marketing's ROI, we'd, we'd better, unfortunately, have some clarity on what we mean by marketing. And in my experience, it varies significantly. Um, across the kinds of businesses that you're talking about. So in some businesses, when we talk about marketing ROI, we really are talking um, in quite a limited view around a, a view on promotions that says, in many cases, you know, what was the return on investment on advertising? If you look at other organizations that have a far more expanded view of marketing, and often these are organizations with strong product brands, um, marketing is seen as a, a, a series of interventions way beyond promotion. So things like um, product development. I mean, we can go back to to the classic marketing mix, whichever whichever one you you like. Um, but marketing is much bigger. It's seen as all of those activities that are going to help you get and keep and grow valuable customers. So defining ROI means we better figure out what we mean by marketing first. All right. So so let's just do that. What do we mean then by marketing, Nicola? <laughs> We've, you know, from, a, from an academic perspective, we've, we've seen multiple um, evolutions around this sort of notion of the definition of marketing. The guys who sort of drive it globally, I would argue, are the American Marketing Association. Um, I have no doubt that one day it will shift. Um, but they, they still refer very much um, to quite a broad definition that is, first of all, important to note, marketing is broader than what the marketing department does. 
So if we if we look at, at what they emphasize, this notion of it's an activity, it's a set of institutions and processes. So that's really important because what we're saying is that when we talk about a set of institutions, we have to think about partners, agency partners, research partners. It's a, 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 an ecosystem that is working together to, and in their words, create, communicate, deliver and exchange offerings that have value for customers, etc., etc. But, but if so we say, if this we notion say, of we are yeah. creating a product, we're communicating, we're delivering, um, is much broader than we're building demand. Mm. Because yeah. if we say that marketing is broader than what the marketing department does, does that then suggest that the marketing department doesn't fully understand its overarching uh, reach and influence uh, of the role of marketing in terms of a product or brand? I don't think it's as much about the marketing department not understanding. I think marketing departments understand. I think the issue is that firms struggle to take a holistic view of how they have to synchronize activities in order to deliver value for customers. So there's a wonderful academic called Webster, and he wrote this great article a couple of years ago called The Decline and Dispersion of Marketing Competence. Now, I think we've got new competences, and we can talk just now about how on earth do marketers actually keep up with a very rapidly changing environment. But this notion of dispersion that says if you look across organizations, all of these functions are not sitting in marketing. So that makes life really difficult, Ashraf, because when we turn around and say, right, we want to um, you know, get an ROI on marketing investment, and we are looking, for example, at... Um, let's say it's a bank that's come out with a new product. Chances are the product development has had very little interface with the marketing department. They've been asked to promote it. Mm. So when we look at measuring ROI on this new intervention, we better be careful that we're, we're not only looking at whether it was properly promoted, but the actual value that the product was going to deliver. Yeah, good point. Okay, then amongst the other things that you touched on, let's just look at, so one is, you know, confirming what or defining what marketing really is, right? Uh, that Then um, amongst the other points, you brought up conceptualizing that impact of our marketing activities. Tell me about that. Well, I think it, it, it goes back to this definition. When we turn around and say, okay, so, so what, what is marketing um, in our organization? And there's been some quite nice um, research that's come out uh, recently done by the Scandinavians, a guy um, called uh, Christian Granrus, who um, really was a forerunner of services marketing, um, and, and the Scandinavian school drove that. But uh, lovely, lovely article with the heading of, of what's the mental footprint of marketing in your boardroom. And um, what they're suggesting is that when we start looking at ROI, the essence of what we expect from marketing varies um, across firms. So they suggest that it varies from um, quite a, a limited operational focus of just marketing's job is to drive more sales. Um, and if we, if we look at, at um, organizations with, for example, very strong outbound call centers, um, some of the organizations in the insurance industry, for example, that haven't invested perhaps as much in product innovation, but a very strong sales push. I guess the millions of calls I receive every week from somebody telling me about a fantastic new offer on uh, mobile data that I'm going to get. There, you're going to turn around and say, return on investment is did you increase sales? Mm, mm. Now, there's an argument that says that's great, but if you're flogging the sales of typewriter in an era of keyboards, if you're trying to, you know, give me something that's not particularly relevant, you're going to miss a boat. So you then get organizations where the, the return on investment is very much about how do we tweak the essence of what we do? Um, 
for our customers. I mean, I, th- I think an interesting example for me here is, is actually SAD. Um, if, if we look at SAD's core capability, it's brewing. And so for them to, for example, compete in new product categories where the essence of the products that we manufacture are not linked to uh, our, our core capability, um, that, that makes life hard. So what SAB does is an absolutely magnificent job. And if we look at the way that their sales have grown um, across this continent in the last year, of continually adjusting those offerings, making them relevant, but never moving away from the core capability. You've then got a much more strategic view um, when you start looking at marketing ROI, and this is where it gets harder to measure because the timescales are much longer, um, that an organization will turn around and say, you know what, <clears throat> affordability is an issue. We have got to stick with the same offering, but what we've got to do is radically um, redesign how we do this. And, I mean, the, the guys, I think, that have really done this um, magnificently if we look at some of the redesign around motor vehicles, some of the business models that are coming out of India, um, I had the privilege of visiting last year in Narayana Healthcare, mm-hmm. where they have reconstituted their value chain to be able to deliver affordable, high-quality medical services at a tenth or sometimes a twentieth or sometimes even a hundredth of the price of what you'd pay for that in the, in the U.S., now, when you look at ROI in that context, mm. you're not going to look at whether your advertising campaign delivered value nearly as much as the price points that you can choose. And then, obviously, you've got your totally new models. So let's take something like Uber. How mm. does Uber, in its early phases, before the business model gets totally entrenched, measure its ROI? And I'm going to argue in the short run, that's <laughs> very, very difficult because you're coming up with something radically radically new. Well, well it's, an, it's an interesting point. Let me just, just interject by, by reminding people uh, who, who we're talking to, certainly someone who knows about the marketing and the business side of life, because we're talking to Nicola Klein, who's the Dean at the Gordon Institute of Business Science, uh, Professor of Marketing as well, and we're talking about, you know, this, this marketing masterclass or embracing marketing ROIs and just what is it, how do you, in fact, go out and marketing your ROIs. So, so Nicola, let me throw this back at you, you know, uh, so Uber, I presume, did not speak to you when they just started, but, but if they did, right, and said, let's talk about ROIs as an absolute startup in it, incredibly early stages of, of, uh, of their product where we knew nothing about it. What, what would you have told them? I would have said, uh, don't worry about measuring ROI. The business model's got to make sense, and you've got to look at the demand drivers. And what I mean by that, Ashraf, is that we see that with innovations um, that really land, that get high adoption rates and are truly innovative, typically there's an, there's an element of, of a leap of faith. Um, the, the, the guru who was a dean at the Rotman School, Roger Martin, talks about this. Um, he refers to a philosopher called Peirce, and he talks about this notion of abductive thinking that says in certain cases there is an element of intuition or gut feel that is based on sound experience that says we've got to make this jump. And our standard measurement systems are, are, are founded in principles largely in marketing of statistics, not, not mathematics, because if you think about it typically, we can't measure everybody. We go and sample. We measure relationships. Did this, did this number of consumers um, have this kind of response? But the one time we can do it mathematically is, is when we're talking about um, online, because we can actually measure the, the total effect of our, our actions. If you take something like, like Uber, there's a, an element of 
a leap of faith that, that I think is, is premature to try and have an ROI conversation. And it's beautiful when you look back in time and it's worked so well and you go, oh, my word, look at that. Um, but in the beginning, great marketing um, is this phenomenal mix between science and art. And there are just some things that I think we, we waste our time measuring. There are other cases where we say we, we can't measure and actually we can, but we're not willing to pay to measure. So I'm going to just indulge you on that. Great marketing is this phenomenal mix between science and, and kind. I mean, outside of Uber, tell me more about you know, examples uh, to, to back up that statement. Well, if, if I think about um, the notion of an insight, I mean, so, so, so let's take a, a, a group of marketers here. I think, I think Discovery has done an amazing job in shifting a, an entire industry if we look at medical aid and the shift towards wellness. Now, how does that how does that start? It may it may start with a quite actuarial view um, in that case that says that actually if you can keep people healthy, you're going to be more profitable as an organisation. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's a wayward wacky idea, um, but issue then that says right. So how do we do this? That then gives rise to the creativity of something like vitality. Um, that's what I'm talking about. You know, these, these, these sort of intuitions between from an insight into actually delivering um, something. I think we've also got fascinating examples now where the Internet has, has given rise to um, almost a, a democratization of who can develop business models. So, you know, you think about Airbnb, mm. you think about some of the, the emerging, I think, very exciting, even on the, on the local front, some of the new business models that are happening where somebody encounters a need and says, surely we can make a business out of that. That's well, the essence of marketing. Well, 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 you're right. I mean, and I certainly, of course, I talk entrepreneurship during week, to my weekday talk show, and, and you certainly see many people who have embraced, you know, digital, embraced uh, technology, and they're coming up with, with incredibly different uh, business ideas. The, the question then, and I'm sort of moving slightly sideways on this one, Nicholas, at what pace should they then move? Well, if you're in a competitive environment, and today, despite um, what, what some might call is the rise of national nationalism, um, you know, what we're seeing playing out across multiple countries in the world, uh, but certainly the leverage of, of uh, technology and technological business models means you've got to move very, very fast. Um, you know, the, you, the rewards are going to go to those who step into the breach. Now, I'm not suggesting that one doesn't do homework, but it's one thing to sit there. I mean, we had a wonderful dinner table conversation the other day with my 15-year-old daughter who'd been challenged at a meeting to come up with ideas for apps. It's one thing to sit and brainstorm apps around the dinner table. It's another thing to actually get out there and develop them and also secure the funding and the communication around the app and build up the network. And so to do it at, at the pace. So, so, I mean, the bottom line to this, the, the, the age-old theory of, you know, uh, develop an idea, then consolidate, and, and don't be too risky. I mean, you're saying that, especially in the era we're living in, uh, because others can emulate you very, very quickly, right? You, you, can't, you can't have this over-consolidation, right, Nicola? You, you can't, and this is where, of course, it pays entrepreneurs. The, the interesting question that I think we must face is what's happening in large organizations, and, you know, we, we know that in terms of the capabilities, marketing has been criticized for many years about its inability to segue marketing conversations well into finance conversations. 
So, you know, th- this is, a, and, and I'm returning a little bit to the ROI conversation, and then I'll come back to the capability issue. One key capability of, of marketing has to be not to just show that this will be the impact on the customer of this offering. It's actually to be able to work with finance and translate it back into creating value for the business. And let me stress that when I say creating value for the business, that could be value for employees, it could be value for communities, but that it's a broader financial conversation. The other part of this conversation says that if marketing as um, a function or group of people who are involved in in really um, being preoccupied with, with customer value can't learn faster than their, than their competitors, they're not going to survive. So this notion of, of what we're referring to a lot as, um, and, and two sort of uh, different terms, but that they're overlapping, um, terms are used as dynamic um, or adaptive capability, but that really says, how does marketing learn to learn? Because the notion of uh, go and uh, you know study your marketing, take it out of a textbook, use the tried and tested models works fantastically in a static environment. Absolutely. Mm. In a dynamic environment, if we're not experimenting all the time, um, I, you know, I, th- I think we're going to have problems. And that's why entrepreneurs are just so much stronger because they experiment more. Well, it's a, it's a great question. And how does marketing learn to learn? So, so you're in this classic situation coming from a marketing background involved now as the head of a, of a business science school. How then do you merge that point that marketing by its very nature is not static? It, it, it has yeah. to be incredibly fluid, which then suggests the textbooks of two years ago could be completely outdated. So your point is even more valid. How does marketing learn to learn more? Well, I, th- I think the first thing is from a – I'm going to defend scholarship because I'm going to argue that people see marketing as the textbook that I studied was 10 years ago. And when I look at the marketing literature, um, what was really fun in this masterclass was sharing a lot of new research that's coming out of the literature. It takes a while for it to land in the textbook. So in terms of is scholarship keeping up, I think there's been some very good moves, but often people don't see that academic literature. But let's go back to, to um, organizations. You know, I think that the, the first thing is that in many cases, um, we get so caught up in executing on our day-to-day processes, flying the plane. It's hard to build the plane. And so the, the first logical step for any marketer says, have you engaged with customers? And I'm not talking here about the engagement of customers via the reams of marketing research reports and annual tracking data and monthly and daily tracking data. I'm talking about the conversations. And, and that's hard. It's hard for all of us to be able to, you know, leave what, what we're doing and get out there and try and sense make, try and see what emerging patterns are coming through. Um, and, uh, I mean, one, one term that, that I use quite often is that picking up on the weak signals, what's going on with our customers. So that's the first thing that says if you've got a better skill at being able to sense your marketing environment and that's your customers, your competitors, but also new partnership opportunities, um, chances are you're going to learn a lot faster. The second has to be about how responsive the organization is. And once you pick up, mm, there's a shift in customer preference, and it's obviously going to depend on what your business is. What does that mean for the design of our offering, the way we communicate, the delivery, um, the kind of relationships that clients want to have? We've got to be able to um, try and experiment with alternatives and learn fast in those experiments. 
And so often in organizations, but we've always done it this way, being able to almost set up a bit of a separate skunk works that says, okay, let's go and try things that way. And, and this is where data comes in, keeping a record of what happens. I think that immediately, this sort of sense and response cycle in the business starts, starts making things shift far faster. Interesting. And then the other thing is also, Ashraf, I, I think we've got to start working with more skills within marketing departments. Okay, well, what if, just hold a thought. I want to pick up on that. Clint Griffin saying, interesting show today. Don't agree with your guests, which is great. Okay, oh, so there you are. Manusha Pillay, of course, from Brand Essay, listening in. And I know Manusha having chatted to you last week, saying listening to the show every Sunday, which is absolutely fantastic. And there are many others which I'll pick out as well. I think Sherry Andreas as well, uh, listening too. Let's then talk about that, the, the, the point you just made, uh, Nicola, about the, you know, about, about the training side of marketing. Talk to me about that. So let's not confuse training with learning. Okay. Training is one um, useful notion, but I mean we're increasingly finding um, at Gibbs that those those sort of static models, and it's always been a, um, a an emphasis on saying what is the business problem that we need to solve, and then how do we learn about solving that problem, as opposed to some sort of static notion of what is a standard curriculum that people should learn. So I think training is, is an important component of learning, but the question is where that training happens, how it happens, and who's involved is also really important. So I mean, we see enormous um, benefit, for example, at the school where people come with projects that they're working on. And I think when we start talking about post-experience learners, there's far more benefit to be gained in having a group work around a project with the relevant input from both faculty, from other areas, and this notion of an extremely static um, curriculum. Yeah, good. All right, now we've got about three minutes uh, to go. Any other points uh, that you want to bring up, uh, Nicola? I want to know what Chris didn't agree with. Well, let, let them let them just tweet us and, and, and tell us. <laughs> I'm not too sure. We'll see about that. And and if we can, in this in this incredibly uh, varied age and market, that discussion may even happen happen off the air, but amplified via this via social media. So be ready for that. I'll certainly put that to Clint just now. Now, you you made the point about companies, and you get the example of uh, you know two companies came to mind: Discovery and then and then Uber, which is absolutely new. And Discovery is not that old either, right? But but what about then the existing companies? I think you touched on SAB earlier, but the existing companies, are they grasping that what you've just said? Oh, I, think it, I think it varies enormously depending on the leadership that the company has. You know, I, I mean, I was, I was privileged to engage with the global CEO of Unilever um, who are looking very strongly at the notion of shared value. And we haven't even chatted about that this morning, but the concept that an organization can't just be geared towards satisfying customers and shareholders. It needs to look in its value propositions at how it also satisfies the needs of communities, contributes to global development goals, etc. Um, there's no doubt that, that they're way ahead of the curve relative to many of their competitors. Um, you know, the, the issue here is we've got to get out into our world. We cannot, as marketers, just turn around and say our world only equals customers. Our primary focus is on our customers, whether you want to talk about consumers, retailers, clients, but they operate in an ecosystem that is undergoing profound shifts. And I'm not just talking about here in South Africa. I'm talking about globally. So if we're not conscious of where they're at 
and the gap between us and them gets bigger. We're, we're going to lose, whether you're a large organization or a small organization. You, you also made the point, and I suppose there's an overlap here, about how do we get marketing to make it to the C-suite? I thought you did it already. Explain that. Well, this notion of what is the, the role that marketing plays um, in the boardroom, I mean, we've seen some nice global research that shows that organizations without a, a CMO um, at, at the boardroom table, to those with a CMO, that I should highlight that actually that gap is been closing quite significantly. So that makes a, a case that says um, who's at the top table? Where is um, marketing's voice in this? And my argument would be somebody Somebody must be there representing the customer and the customer's voice. Now, if not marketing, then who? So I, I'm extraordinarily worried about firms, um, unless they're in, in businesses, for example, which is and research backs this out, which is purely uh, growth through acquisition, and perhaps marketing might play a slightly less important role. But if there's a business looking for organic growth, and let's face it, in a growth environment where we're haggling over whether it's going to be zero or 0.3% this year, um, the role of marketing in achieving growth in a very tight environment means they've got to be at the, at the top table in the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and our research shows that even when they are there sometimes, um, they're not having voice around the table. So marketers have to be part of the business conversation. And I'm convinced that in the firms where... Um, they are renowned for fantastic marketers. It's because they're doing exactly that. Well, well you see, I, I've used a phrase before, and I'll say it again, that if marketers are not at the top of the business table, then marketing is not doing a good job marketing itself. Mm. But isn't that the cobbler's shoe? Sometimes we're so <laughs> on the outside, you know, that we don't have uh, the opportunities to explore these. So, so you're absolutely right. You know, and that's, that's nobody, nobody's saying this is easy. And I think what is coming through is the notion of a, a normative model of a single best way to do this. Um, it's highly dependent on your business. I see significant differences in, in really great marketing practices depending on, for example, organizations' brand strategies. So an organization with a monolith brand versus an organization with really strong product brands. They're going to have different ways of thinking about marketing, best practice marketing processes, how they measure ROI. So it's all about being able to look at our context um, specifically and, and create the value from that. Okay. Any, any last thoughts? One line? Hmm. Uh, so I, I, I think the, the most important thing from my side is times are tight. Um, let's not get obsessed with measurement if it means we take our eye off the ball in terms of delivering value to customers. Yeah, We've got to get out and engage with them. That's a very important one. But I'm going to give you some homework as well, of course, Nicola. That uh, <laughs> we, We've tweeted some of your points, but we missed out on others, right? So uh, feel free to tweet five, ten things that you like. Just tweet to me, Ashraf Ganda, as well as SFM Radio with hashtag media so that listeners can pick up a trend of all the very important things that you've said, which is just about everything. So it's been great chatting to you. Good, fantastic. Have a good Sunday and thank you for your time. Nicola Clay, thank you so much for your time. There you are, Dean at the Gordon Institute of Business Science, better known to everybody as just simply Gibbs, uh, but also Professor of Marketing there and uh, delivering, talking about a masterclass you delivered uh, fairly recently. Really important one. Right, so the Checkers Little Shop campaign. Would that be like, you know, brand win or what? I wonder what your thoughts are around that. To get us to that, we'll chat about... Gordon Patterson. Sadly, it's a case of R.I.P. Gordon Patterson, right after this.